Welcome to the next episode in our podcast, our Ask Me podcast about indoor air quality. Uh, we're lucky enough to be joined again by Nathan Wood, um, Managing Director of Farmwood m and Ventilation, um, also the Health and Wellbeing and Buildings Chairman at BESA, Building Engineering Services Association. And he's also the Indoor Environmental Quality Task Force Chairman at GCP Europe. So Nathan, welcome again. And we are also joined by Kevin Pocock, one of my colleagues from Mitsubishi Electric, Business Development Manager in the Corporate Solutions Team. How are you both? Are you good? Good morning. Morning, James. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all good. Fantastic. Um, for those that might not have listened to the previous podcast, I think it might be worthwhile just doing some introductions again. Um, so I'll just pass over to you first, Nathan, if you want to talk a little bit about yourself, what your passions are, your interests. Passions, air quality, health and well-being. Uh, indoor environmental quality, all of the above. Um, I haven't picked up these chairman roles because nobody else wanted to do it. I think it's uh, it was a right place, right time. I've been banging this drum for quite a few years now. Um, so yeah, Farmwood, uh, predominantly a ventilation company, been established 19 years, and through working as a core business in ventilation, we've sort of realized a good five, six years ago, everybody was talking about air quality, what was that about? So we've jumped both feet into that, really developed it and pushed it forward. And then this awful thing called COVID hits and it's sort of projected it into the limelight. So everybody's talking about ventilation, everybody's talking about air quality. And COVID being uh, an awful thing that it is, it is gonna open up the doors for people to be more aware of their environments indoors. Good, and Kevin, over to you. Oh yeah, hi, I'm Kevin. I'm in the corporate solutions team at Mitsubishi um, and I work with a lot of universities, which is one of the reasons uh, why I'm here. They're, they're, they seem to be approaching us more and more about indoor air quality. I think last year when uh, things were shutting down, we were getting a lot of calls about um, re- reopening buildings eventually and, and, and the, the, the impact of indoor air quality. I think COVID's brought it right to the front. So. I'm keen to like have a chat with with Nathan and find out what people can do with both both existing and, and new built buildings, particularly higher education. Fantastic. So the last time we spoke to you, Nathan, we spoke to spoke about all the problems and we spoke about the issues surrounding air quality, um, indoor air quality, and kind of general environment. Um, and today we thought we would take that a little bit further. There was so much was kind of came out of that that we thought we'd then talk a bit more detail in about the solutions for the different sectors. So looking at homes, schools, offices. So did you want to talk a little bit about the solutions to actually improve the air quality in those areas? I mean, maybe if we start at home first, um, obviously a lot of us have spent a lot of time at home this year. (laughs) Moving forwards, there's probably going to be this kind of hybrid role where we'll be at home a few days a week, we'll be in the office a couple of days a week. So indoor air quality is probably as as important as it ever has been um, within the house. Yeah, indoor air quality at home, is normally more overlooked than it would be at work because your employer's got a duty of care for you whilst you're at work and it forms you know, a major part of the health and safety executive to ensure that you, you are breathing adequate air at work. However, if you're being allowed to or asked to work from home, does that duty of care then follow at home? I mean, surely you should have a DSE assessment, you know, your desk assessments and everything else. I mean, a lot of places initially were struggling to get laptops to work from home. And yet, if you did get a laptop, have you got anywhere decent to work from it? So, before you might have been home in the morning, you leave, you do nine, 10 hours out of it, and then you're back in in the afternoon. However, suddenly you're spending a lot more time at home. And although you would have more control over the windows or how you go about your normal day, 
chances are people will look, are a little bit more productive whilst those at home. Um, so in line with the NHS guidance, it's all about opening up your windows, natural ventilation. And depending on the atmospherics and the conditions, you may or you may not get adequate ventilation through, through natural uh, airing. Some more modern apartments or homes may indeed have a MVHR, which is Mechanical Ventilation Heat Recovery System, or even an electrical extract fan in the bathroom, or uh, a hob extract in the kitchen. So all of these systems, even if you're not cooking, you know, if you put on your extract hob, it's going to draw air naturally from your building, disperse it outside, and the air is going to be drawn in from gaps underneath the doors and through the windows and other places. So even if you're not cooking or showering, just or by putting these systems on. Sorry? Or cooking bacon like the last time you said we're not allowed. Yeah, we, we, let's not be no, allowed to it. Yeah, I'm hungry. Sorry about bacon again, so you know it, it will it will move air and it's all about moving air with, within a space which is ventilation in its sense so if you have got mechanical ventilation systems such as an MVHR um, has it been serviced is it operating you know is, is it boosting up when it should has it got a automatic humidity sensor so there's lots of key points to these systems that are massively overlooked we find so you know annually you need to get your boiler serviced because there's a you know it's gas you know and this is a dark art that these skilled people have to come in and work on ventilation systems need to be treated with the same importance because these systems in your home have a direct effect on your health and well-being at all times you know god forbid a boiler has a leak you know carbon monoxide poisoning explosions etc but just by your mechanical ventilation system not operating correctly you can have far-reaching issues to your health over and above I mean yeah over and above carbon monoxide poisoning but you know what I mean it's almost like people know the risks with gas and boilers they don't understand the risks so much with with the the air quality of in a space well it's, the, it's I suppose it's the environment you're used to isn't it so if you spend every day in that environment you breathe that air in every day you don't know anything different so you don't know what improved air quality would feel like or how that would impact mm. you mm. um but I think you're right. I, th I think people are becoming more aware of that um, as as a criteria for a healthy healthy life. So you know we're exercising more, we're eating better as a, as a society. I think air quality is probably that next box that that people need totally. to start ticking and considering. Yeah, totally. And, um, and I think as well the 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 whole message around well being is taken on board that air quality message. So I've seen lots and lots of adverts. Um, where people are talking about changing bad habits, you know, you're changing your habits of your eating, you should change your habits of what you put into your air indoors, like candles, air fresheners, etc. And uh, the other question for me really is, is we're living in a smart society where everything's automated, everything's working automatically, you know, devices are, are taking on more functions that improve our life and, 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 you know, making our life easier and making it more healthier. Are there things being done by manufacturers that are kind of easily accessible as, as, a, as a product that will sit inside your home that will work in a smart way with, like you said earlier, you know, whether it's a, an extract hood that's also doing some form of extract for CO2 within your, within your, I know I'm probably going a bit far-fetched, but... No, you're not at all. But, but just, is there device, are there devices coming that are accessible to everyone that aren't expensive, that can't, you know, that can be retrofitted into a building? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, everyone's got a smartphone, you know, there's, and there's 
there's a manufacturer, I, I won't name names, um, where you can manually boost the ventilation system from your phone. And it's really simply simple to do, but it's great that you're seeing this introduced now because it was seen before almost as like this top end expense that you can have an automated system. Um, most ventilation systems, domestic ventilation systems, um, as standard have humidity sensors in them. There's no reason why you can't automate uh, indoor air quality monitors. There's an array, there's a, there's, the floodgates are open on the air quality monitoring markets. There's some fantastic ones, there's some terrible ones. Do you research, that's all I would say. <clears throat> but the way in which you, you can interact with these sensors, even if the system is in theory dumb in a way, in, 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 in a sense that it's not smart, you can buy these add-on modules that have nothing to do with the manufacturer. And then you can boost the system via Google recipes or uh, the internet of things. So if, you, if you're a bit more uh, into your tech, you might play with Raspberry Pis or Arduinos and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you've got these microcomputers where you can now buy these add-on sensors. You know, you can get uh, children's kits as well. You know, you can you can get your kids developing these little bits of kit. You plug in a little CO2 sensor, breathe on it, and the lights change. You know, fantastic. so it's 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 a fantastic way that you can integrate and develop any system within your home. But I think that the key point to address is that you do need to monitor the air in order to, t to, to know what reasonable actions to take. So first step, Nathan, would be to, to find out what the air quality is like in your house and then you would look at ways to improve that then? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's lots of um, consultants that are looking at developing this. There's a few um, marketing companies that are looking at ways in which you can add value to your home. So if your home is within an air pollution area, if you can prove that you've taken measures to monitor the air and condition it in some form, whether that be heating, cooling, filtration, or ventilation, full stop. If your air pollution, if your air quality within your dwelling is better than the house next door, then surely it's worth more. So is that and coming then? So obviously we've got EPCs and things at the moment. Is that the next step? That's who coming looks at EPCs? That? Who looks at them? You know, on. but, it, but no <laughs> it's it's a criteria isn't it, it it's it is it's quite if you wanted to look at it and if you wanted to you know if that's something that's really important to you the efficiency of your house and when we say efficiency obviously we're talking about heat losses and mm. and you know the way that works now we're talking about actually the efficiency in terms of the air quality is, yeah i is, think is that something being developed yeah i think with the epc it's just the time of testing whether you're buying or selling a home i think that's the only real time that an epc comes into play but however if I mean, this, this goes more in terms of commercial properties, restaurants, hotels, universities as, as well, in terms of when you're allowing people into these places. Um, so yes, your own home, you'd like to think it is, it's your castle and it's, your, it's your, your own protective space. So that you want to know that the air within your space that you're breathing is good. But certainly, if you're going to a pub, club, restaurant or anywhere else, at the moment, it's all about outdoor dining and being outside. But as time goes on and people relax more and more, you will find yourselves more in enclosed spaces. So as you go into say a restaurant, why would you not necessarily only look for the hygiene rating? You would look for the air quality rating and the, and the cleanliness. And there's lots of apps and systems, uh, BISA and, and other associations are looking at promoting initiatives to drive that forward. But it's very difficult to drive an initiative without pushing a product. So I think it's all about allowing, you know, any host of sensors as long as they meet a certain criteria, 
to prove their their worth look they're able to form almost a dashboard or an apps when you go in you know you, you can scan a, a QR code or it just picks up on your phone that you're near somewhere that's got a monitoring would you like to tap in and check what the air quality is like that's been bubbling away it's definitely going to be coming Nathan I, I, I completely agree with you I, I don't know I, the other week I got a new iPhone and I updated it for the first time I never update my phone like the software on my phone and I noticed the weather apps now got an air pollution rating on, on wow. the weather app okay. which has probably been around for years because I haven't updated my phone I haven't seen it but but it's just showing you can now sort of look at the air quality in a broad sense, wherever you are in in terms of where you're going. And um, I'm wondering if potentially house values and things will be slightly to become affected as it comes more to the fore. That when you're, you're selling you're, you're selling a, a flat on Oxford Street, and which is one of the most polluted streets in the world. Is that going to be worth less because of the air quality? And are you going to have to sort of mitigate that and do what you said? Will will properties be more valuable if you've got good in, indoor air quality in those hotspots? Well, almost if there's a min- minimum air quality value you have to hit. So, like you said about Oxford Street, if you know because it's more highly polluted there, does that mean you then have to make more adjustments to that to that environment to to improve the quality in it? In it, whereas you might you know someone else might live somewhere that's not quite as as highly polluted, they don't have to do as much because the air quality is good there and they, they meet the criteria for, for your health, effectively. Mm. I mean, just living the countryside as well doesn't mean that you're not going to have air pollution because it will more likely be a different type of air pollution, more likely to be wood smoke uh, and, and farming and agriculture that, that cause the different issues. So although we're probably in London talking about traffic pollution, maybe a bit of these log burners and everything else, but in the countryside, without question log burners, farming and everything else in agriculture. So if, if you used to buy a plot of land and the soil was contaminated, it would devalue the property, the devalue the land. So why is it any different to a house? Going back to the countryside, Nathan, I did see your posts on, on LinkedIn about the bonfires that were going on near where your kids were, were training for football. And obviously that, that resonates with me where, you know, where I am, I'm, I'm out in the country a little bit more and that's quite a, a common thing to see and, and to smell as you're kind of walking outside is the smell of bonfires and things burning. So mm. um, it, it's, it's an, uh, it can be a nice smell. You know, it reminds me of bonfires, camping, Cub Scouts and all the rest of it. No, I mean, ignorance is bliss. Sometimes I wish I didn't know half as much as what I did. I really do. Because I'm turning into that geek everywhere I go. But, you know, I've reported it to the football club. I've, and I've said to them, you know, we need to do a, a mail drop to all of the residents to say, look, you know, we're not going to stop you burning things. We can't do that. However, could you do it out of these hours when we're not around? By the way, here's some extra information, you know, such as the Mitsubishi electric guide, you know, um, in terms of the, the issues surrounding that. Fantastic. Oxford Street, should we stay on Oxford Street and have a look at retail and, and, and business environment? Sort of sure. Thing? So, yeah, so, so offices then, I guess, really, Nathan, is the next put a call for, for where to improve air quality and what needs to be done. And, you know, the, we, we've done a lot of work over the years. It's probably our core market for ventilation really as, as a business, um, doing a lot of mechanical ventilation, heat recovery systems, like you said, and doing some air handling practices and making sure the right air, um, air recycling rates are being met in offices. But is there more that we need to start to do to, to improve that further? Yeah, um, there, there's a lot of increased uh, awareness around the risk of 
initially COVID, but also in, improving the indoor air quality. So um, to address COVID, they're now talking about, I think it's about 12, 12 and a half liters per second per person that they're talking about now, rather than a 10 or 15, they seem to be sort of hedging their bets in the middle. So all of these systems that have been installed to date and designed and hopefully meet the, the criteria required, can they be ramped up or are they working to the top of their performance curve? So we, we've been talking to lots of, uh, of retail spaces and they're, they're, they're looking to get peop more people into their spaces. So it's not just about surface hygiene so much and touch points. It is recognized that the, the primary route is airborne, even though that discussion I don't think will ever go away. So yes, you know, you, you can increase the ventilation in these spaces. What effect is that gonna have on the noise? Is it a sort of office space where you need it quiet? Is it a retail place where there's lots of music and it isn't gonna make a difference? Can you upgrade the filter systems? You know, HEPA filters, carbon filtration. Are there filters in there in the first place? And if there are, are they clean in the first place? Is it being maintained? Is it accessible? The amount of places that our team attend you can see the units. How on earth are you gonna to get to them is another thing. So when these things are maintained, it's probably an annual service in the world that we're in today. Does that need to be brought forward to three months, six months? You, you, can, you can upgrade systems depending on what they are. You can increase the flow rates depending if there's capacity. But I think above all, we've got to look at filtration. You can filter the air, especially HEPA, HEPA and MERV filters, HEPA 13. While we're on the subject, we need to be conscious as well, if we can just put this out there, of super HEPA, like HEPA, you know, super duper wowee HEPA. There's all sorts of variations, or HEPA-like, HEPA-type. Nathan, can you just explain a bit about what HEPA is? Because I, I must say there's loads of different um, different systems with filters and stuff, and I even I sometimes struggle to understand it. You've got me now on what the uh, abbreviation stands for. This should be on the top of my top of my head, but yeah, it's As high efficiency particular air. There you go. You beat me to it. But yeah, there was. I done a really good webinar on this where it was uh, HEPA versus UV. Who will win? You know, um, and I was very much firmly on the fence because a lot of the systems that we use use both type of technologies, um, and the argument was really good. You know, UV does work. HEPA does work but depending on which sales team you work with is what you want to push more without question HEPA filters will catch viruses um, and it's not so much it's not so much um, it's it's to do with the impaction of the way that the, uh, the particles penetrate into a HEPA filter so a lot of people assume that if you buy a HEPA filter, suddenly your energy efficiency is going to is going to skyrocket. You know, you're not. It's going to cost ten times more to run. There are some extremely efficient HEPA filters that, if correctly designed, and if they are able to to, to be introduced into a system, will give really really good protection um, for the for the space. So the only thing I would stress is that ideally you need pre-filters before them. You can't just go up to a system retrofitter. A HEPA filter, slide it in the unit and walk away. It's it's not that simple. You do need to take into account lots of different calculations for the flow rates to ensure that you're not just um, causing obstructions in, into the airflow or indeed pushing the resistances up. But they're both retrofit products, right? So so you can put a pre-filter and a HEPA filter on an existing system without having to change the infrastructure that's in place. Is it a relatively simple thing to do? Yeah, sometimes you have to move the the guide rails for the filters and. There was uh, 
some some systems are quite tightly compacted, but that's not to say that you can't buy an additional filter box that you retrofit on the end of the supply spigot or in the intake, um, just as an add-on. The importance with the systems that we maintain is that when we attend and people have said, oh, we had this guy in and he's designed this system we've installed it, you often find that they just crank the system to max. And indeed, the guidance early on was to just go to full supply air, you know, massively dilute the spaces. But you need to take into account the correct design of the HEPA filter that's gone in and also what effect that has on the internal air grills where the supply is. So ideally you re need to recommission the system. Okay, and then the difference between HEPA and UV. So HEPA is obviously a, a physical filter that the air goes through. And I guess UV is, is kind of the air passes through a UV and it kills the particles that are in it. That's the difference between the two, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about UVC radiation and there's lots of different types of UV and there's different wavelengths. There's also different applications. Historically, UV has been used quite a lot for water treatment, decontamination of coils. More recently, I'm reading up more about upper room germicidal radiation with UV. The main argument against UV is people say, oh, you know, it's really costly to run and you only probably get 8,000 hours burn time before it may start to uh, generate ozone. But there's lots of different technologies out there that use them in a different way. And I think that people that are introducing them into ducted systems and ventilation systems, if you're looking at coils and fans and internals and, and sort of HVAC hygiene, yes, depending on the velocity of the airflow past the UV, you know, it may not quite do the job. So you need to take that into consideration. Okay. And then touched on it a little bit there um so moving forward so we're talking about the ventilation system here so in terms of a general air conditioning system um is there anything that can be done to that to help improve the quality of the air and help combat you know, covid and other other viruses that are, that are within buildings yeah there's quite a few decent ionizers that are coming through and, and i think ionization gets a bit of a bad rap because it's been missold a bit i say a bit quite a bit over overseas um Again, do the research, make sure that it's coming from a well-established uh, company and it's not just a white goods that's been bought in and sort of re-advertised in a sense. So there's lots of clever spin on words, but the main thing we should look for is that, yes, if we're addressing COVID and particulates in the air, what is the possible byproduct? And yes, without doubt, you know, UV ionization, there, there can be formaldehyde, there can be ozone, all sorts of, of, of secondary pollutants created. But if, if their lifespan is extremely short or they're contained within that unit, then there's no danger to the atmosphere or to that space. You know, you, you certainly want, wouldn't want to put one on your desk and be breathed in in close proximity. But normally in these sort of spaces, fan core units are well above the ceiling, retail spaces, you're talking sort of three, four metre high spaces. So you can look for what criteria they meet in terms of um, uh, independent testing but again it's such a under-regulated space at the moment regulations are coming in and the, there are regulations there but I think because of the array of different technologies that are coming through the people that sort of sign them off and, in, and cover them are probably overwhelmed but without doubt ionization it works there's some fantastic white papers out there UV it works HEPA it works so if you can combine these together ensure that there's no secondary byproducts, why not use them? Fantastic. So 
kind of going into the the office retail space a little bit as well we're kind of going to look beyond the air quality of it so in terms of the physical well-being of the people that are in that facility is it in people's interests i suppose to improve the quality of their buildings to actually add value to that particular rentability or we work with a number of, of, of well-known property owners and estate managers and, and people like that and, and I, I would imagine now they're starting to look at this really in a lot more detail to kind of make their spaces more rentable if they've got really good air quality in that facility they're going to get really good productivity from the people that are going into there's going to be some really high-end clients that are going to want to take that on because it's you know they're going to get more productivity and healthier people that are in it is that being looked at a lot more as well you know within the industry we do we do a bit of work with um with WeWork, uh, who do who do offices, um, and they've actually got a a person who's in charge of indoor air quality, and uh, I think for about the last five or six years, they've put sensors in all of their offices to actually monitor all of their all of their indoor air quality. So it, it seems to me like they've got clutched onto the fact that it is going to be important moving forward, and it is a value because they've got a whole section. On their, on their website that just explains about that strategy and all about indoor air quality and how, from everything from what cleaning products they use to um, how they control the air in the environment is, is all spoken about. So it must have some commercial value. That's great to hear because I think there's, there's probably sustainability teams all around the world just jumping for joy that finally they're going to be taken a bit more seriously than perhaps they were before. <laughs> I feel like that, that was sometimes a tick box exercise. So CSOs and people like that now where you know they are being considered as important as you know financial officers and, and yeah. directors and everyone else. You know, it's such a massive part of people's you know, business moving forwards really, their, their vision, their goals. Yeah, I mean, reactivating spaces. You've probably had a reduced team back in the office. You're looking at getting everybody back in the office, or indeed you've had people back in the office for quite a time. How are you offering them security? Because everyone's aware and they've watched the news and they're worried about where they go, supermarkets. Suddenly they're back in an office with 100 people. What What's being done? So if, indeed, if you can log into an app or a system or know on a dashboard somewhere within your space, this is the air quality within it, and what actions have been taken to improve the air quality within the space. But certainly before COVID, there was certain well-being companies that would grade your space or grade your development based on several different principles. People talk about the seven, the seven main principles, I won't name the organisation. Um, but it covers more of the indoor environmental quality. So it's not just the air, it's um, also the light, water, uh, let's get this right, air, light, water, fitness, uh, the comfort of the space and, and the creativity, like the, your mind space, as it were. So it brings everything into into play for for the environmental quality, not just the air quality, such as uh, in in IEQ. So for our own office, we try to make it inviting. We try to make sure that people can get around okay, and we do monitor our air. We have got mechanical ventilation heat recovery systems. We've got one for upstairs. We've got one for downstairs. They work independently of each other we have upgraded the filters on them. And I think for for a lot of office spaces, they don't own the building, they don't control the building. It's it's under somebody else's remit. So we're, we're talking with lots of different places where they're saying, look, we can't do this, we can't do that. The, the landlord won't do this, that and the other. What can we do? So if we was to leave the space, we could easily remove it. So what can be installed easily and what can be removed easily? And without question, Domestic systems are perfect for small office spaces, even if you use multiple systems. And they can be they can be used in conjunction with 
the, the landlord's heating and cooling system or ventilation or indeed the, the air conditioning. They're so easy to install. You can adapt a window, so you're not looking at doing core drilling or anything like that. Adapt a window space, keep the pane of glass, modify it for your inlet and outlets as long as they're far enough apart. Install the system, commission it in line with the amount of people you've got. And you might need multiple systems, but there's a value in that that you're looking after everybody's health and well-being. And if you did have to leave the space, take it out, move it away, take it with you. But it's, it's surprising how many building owners seem dead set against making any changes you know it's it's ridiculous do, do you think that the the people will start to move more towards because you you've said just there about decentralized systems do you, do you think that 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 will be more of the way that people go rather than having a big office block which has got one massive ventilation system on the roof providing supply and extract to every room in the building do you think that it might be like what you've done at your office like uh floor by floor or a section by section approach I, I think so I, I really do because a lot of offices I mean even ours we've had to move the desks away for, for social distancing so we don't have to wear our masks but I think creative spaces and the flow of in which an office can change now so if when a building is initially designed they may not have the first clue who's going to take over that space and what they're going to refit that space out to so you may find that where an office was initially designed been in closed spaces then opened up it's all about creative spaces and allowing positive thinking and you know free flow of a space rather than being pigeonholed into these high barriered off spaces i mean you might have a lot of acrylic screens up at the moment if you was to to look to move an office around it's far easier to rejig an mvhr system than it is a main centralized system plus as well if you're monitoring one area you could have one mvhr controlling one area so you're constantly recovering the heat from that from that area so if it does become busy, it will pick up on the CO2, boost the system proportionally. So it's energy saving in, in heat and electricity and keeping, keeping the comfort cooling and the conditioning of everything. And with very simple modules, you can link your MVHR to your fan coils or your air conditioning. So you don't need somebody to find that bipper on the wall that somebody's walked off with, you know, to, to try and control it. It's automated and it's so easy to do. So interesting, you're talking about productivity in the workplace, Nathan, with MBHR. Obviously, another environment that, that people should hopefully work in is schools. Um, and Kevin's got a high interest in that area at the moment with universities and even local schools that are starting to look at what they can do to improve their environments and be more, more sustainable. Is MBHR becoming a, a much bigger focus for them? Are you seeing that a lot more? Are there other things that they're looking at as well as that? I feel initially schools have just been uh, opening windows going for the natural ventilation route but I, I feel as we carry on hopefully the uh, the Department for Education and the government will start to look at schools a bit more closely and offer specific funding. Um, they know what schools have got ventilation, they know what schools haven't got ventilation and I'd like to think that they would address that and the simplest way to retrofit mechanical ventilation systems into small classrooms um, is with MVHR. There's lots of different forms. There's the hybrid form to meet more recent building regulations. But with the reform of uh, approved document F and the environment bill coming through, and more recently, prevention of future deaths report that's come off of the case from um, Ella Roberta and her, her mum, uh, Rosamond, who's been fighting that forward. There is a real um, 
urgency now and a requirement for spaces to be monitored and for the indoor air quality to be addressed. So certainly schools nearer roads and, and polluted areas must look to take action but they need funding, they, they need this to be supported and I feel that it's the government that needs to step in and offer that support. So if you're looking at a class of 30 children, 34 children in some instances, it's a lot of CO2 to take care of, you know, so you do need a, a, a very good uh, mechanical ventilation system. But in terms of retrofitting a full AHU with DX and heating and everything Never else, ducting it around a school, aesthetics come into play, you know, and a lot of these academies that, that um, that really do go for the, the mental health and well-being, which is fantastic in terms of the space and the creativity and how they are. They've got so much glazing. And I think the calculations and the design that goes forward, if that was pushed through to, let's check it out in six months time, once the school's fully reactivated, is it working now? You know, and most of the newer academies will have ventilation systems, fan cores and everything else. So they can be tweaked, they can be adjusted, filtration systems added, everything else. For those schools in need now, without question, small, compact, efficient, easily controllable systems, you know, they don't need any human integration to turn them on, to turn them off. They'll constantly ramp up, ramp down. You can answer the CO2 problem, the air quality problem as well. And going forward to service an MVHR, although a school will have a multiplier of these units, the filters are relatively cheap, mm -hmm. but I do feel that manufacturers could play a part in that if they know that they're supplying filters to a school or a college, whether or not there, there could be a, a VAT break or a tax break or something that comes from the government that means that you know schools are able to get these things for a certain portal or whatever they set up. But a school, again, in the countryside, might be needing to address different pollutants to a school in, in, in a city. Yeah. I think my kids will thank you for saying that as well, because over the winter, there's been doors open, windows open, they've had three coats on. It's been ridiculous. But I, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's it's um, it's um a massive challenge. And, you know, I, I live opposite a primary school and, and my kids go over there and it's, it's a relatively old building. And to, like you said, to put an AHE system into a, into a primary school, I mean, there's tens of thousands well, hundreds of thousands I'd imagine primary mm. schools in the UK that's a massive feat to do that and they're not going to do that for you know a, a small school that hasn't got that much funding so I, I think there needs to be like you said a lot more lobbying done with the governments and, and local education authorities to, to, to start to look at health and well-being of pupils from an air quality point of view it's, it's super important there's a, um, a fantastic document, I think I mentioned this in the previous report, as the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Care, RCPCH. It's a huge document on the effects of air pollution on children at school. Massive document. Fantastic people that are all behind it. Um, I think that'd be great if we could share a link for that because that, that gives a lot of really basic information. Children have got involved in it as well. Um, and I was just going to come back as well into the point of a lot of older buildings. How many primary schools are old sort of churches that are going to be listed? You're not going to be able to just punch holes in them. So I think English English Heritage, if they're part of it, they need to have a sensible discussion as well whether or not windows can be adapted and maybe in the future put back rather than just saying, no, it's a listed building. You, you can't do it. Or it's, it's, it's a naturally leaky building anyway because it's an old church. But I think by addressing 
by addressing air quality, you'll also be looking at the efficiency of these buildings, making them more energy efficient. There's a huge drive with that as well. Um, and whether or not that would form part of like a renovation wave in the UK, you know, if it starts in schools, it could trickle through. Well, let, let's be honest, with the, with the big push for net zero and everything else in the UK and, and you know, the targets that are being set for that, it's super important from a from, you know from a planet point of view um, to, to you know to help improve the general environment. But like you said, quality, air quality should be tagged onto that in some way or, or other. But um, yeah, we, you know we'll, we'll lobby as much as we can, and if you can share that link, that'd be fantastic. It's, um, it's prob- probably a really good time to close on that point. Anyway, um, I want to thank you massively, Nathan, for coming on. It's been really eye-opening, educational. I've learned a hell of a lot. Um, the last two podcasts so you know really really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all your knowledge and wisdom with us and uh, Kev thank you very much for coming to support us again um, today and uh, wish you both well and we'll catch up again soon